This is a Discovery Church podcast. Every heart found in Jesus' story. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we pray that this message brings you deep encouragement. If you would like to get involved in the life of our church, head over to discoverychurch.com.au or check out our social media or YouTube channel. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's so good to be with you today. Yes, I have been very busy in the youth world the last couple of years, and it has been such a sweet space, let me tell you. It's been so awesome. Just to give you a little bit of context, I have, um, we have been having around over 100 teenagers come on a Friday night every week this week, which, every this week this year, which has been crazy, incredible. Um, and they're all double the size of me out in that foyer, and then come in here and we have heaps of fun. It goes, it's such a vibe, it's such a buzz. Um, but I truly know it's not about numbers, because, but a wise person once told me that every number tells a story. And it's, a, it's been such a sweet time seeing story after story of young people coming alive in their faith. Because if you cast your mind back, back to COVID, lockdowns, like we were having youth nights on Zoom and maybe only 10, 15 kids would turn up. And it's just been so awesome seeing teenagers come alive again, bounce back with resilience and strength that I think all adults could all learn from. You know, junior camp, we had junior camp last weekend, which was awesome. We, we did have about over 90 kids come along, um, year five to year eight at Mill Valley Ranch. Thanks, I just wanted to, just to take a moment to thank you. Thank you for investing um, into uh, our youth ministry, if that was by prayer or if that is um, contributing financially. You know, this, it was such a big camp, it's such a big feat taking over 90 kids along and people, it wouldn't have been possible without, you know, either parents trusting us, um, people driving buses, driving cars down, um, doing things like donating things to different types of camps. So it takes a village to pull off a camp like this. So thank you. Thank you so much for all that you invested. It is not lost on me. Yes, there's a few photos from camp. Um, it is just not lost on me seeing kids encounter Jesus. Um, the spiritual temperature of camp was just turned up from the moment that we were on there and Holy Spirit really did something amazing. We saw teenagers encounter Jesus, um, you know, people deciding that they wanna be baptized, kids that were coming from non-church backgrounds giving their life to Jesus for the very first time, which is awesome. They're awesome, awesome, amazing stories and they're just a few. Um, but I did want to show you a few photos from our camp highlight, Dash for Cash game. It is leaders. We strap up our leaders in, with money, and then at one certain time of the camp, we, someone yells Dash for Cash, and it's just all in. You have to get off, get, hunt down the leaders, do whatever means necessary to get the cash off them. And it's heaps of fun. It's heaps of carnage. Um, and I just want to show you some funny moments, but... I got, I volunteered as tribute this year and I, um, I, I'll show you my hiding spot. Yes, this was perfect for me, just the right size. <laughs> it was heaps of fun. I make sure no rubbish was in the bin, put a rubbish bag in. It was heaps of fun. But I don't know if it was the position I was in or um, in the squished in that bin or if it's the fact that you're standing up all day, but my body took ages to recover and I'm still recovering today um, from camp. 
The older I'm getting, the harder, I'm, um, the harder it is to bounce back from these weekends. You know, I'm not the 21-year-old I, I used to be when I did youth camps back then. Um, and, you know, Tim and I, um, we've realised this. We've realised we've come to this point in our 30s where we've just accepted our bodies aren't what they used to be. And you know what? We're all about comfort now. We're all about the cushioning, how much support we can get, with the, the, the clothes and the shoes that we wear. We don't really care about the latest fashion trend. Seriously, Tim and I got new shoes this year and we wear it to every youth event because if we don't, we were on the couch days after complaining about how sore we are and then fighting about who's most sorest and which body part's most sorest. It's really funny. But we've definitely moved past the days where we, look, we wear things just to look cool. But word on the street is cool isn't cool anymore. The word cool isn't even cool anymore. If a teenager thinks something is cool, stylish, they probably would say something like, and let me like, just get, I just need to channel my inner teenager to say this because I was writing this and I couldn't even write without laughing. But it says, OMG, you're slaying it in that fit girl looking snatched. Or did you see him? He's got the drip. So much riz. Let me explain that. Let me explain before you go, what, 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 what? Let me explain it. Slay means to be extremely stylish or successful. Snatched is looking good, perfect, perfect, fashionable, the new on fleek, which who knows, even knows what on fleek is. Drip, <laughs> fancy, fashionly, expensive, which is actually, and it's a newer version of swag. This is like the, the, the most in one at the moment that's coming in. So I've given you all a warning so that you can start using it in your own language. That would be awesome. Short for outfit. Fit is short for outfit. And riz is charisma. So if someone has lots of charisma, you say, oh, they have the riz, which is awesome. It's a whole new world. <laughs> Teenagers, they have the whole new language, right? And the Urban Dictionary has become my best friend as a 30-year-old youth pastor. That's for sure. Social media has made this pace really fast too. What's in one week is out the next, especially in fashion. You know, I personally refuse to get on this, like, on this bandwagon, but who's noticed low-ride jeans are coming back or are back, apparently? Yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to do it. And how about skinny jeans to wide-leg jeans? I'm sorry if um, the news hasn't been broken to you yet, but... Skinny jeans are just not in anymore. And I'm grieving it. I'm grieving this. It's all good. At the same time, how funny is when it fashion trends kind of come around and come back again? How funny is it that um, when the resurgence of flared pants from the 60s or the boho chic bohemian flower pants from the 70s or it's the revival of overalls and bucket hats from the 90s, it all feels like a blast from the past. Our clothes and what we choose to wear says a lot about us. It's one of the first things people notice about us. And no matter what the cycle, no matter the latest trends, no matter what the labels you decide to wear, there are some things that are just going to never go out of style. And I think Paul understood this as he wrote the, book of, the letter to the Colossian church. We're going to read Colossians 3 together today. So who's got their Bibles with them? Get them out. I encourage you to have your physical Bibles and bring them to church. You know, I encourage our teenagers all the time to bring their Bibles because, you know, we don't get distracted by a physical Bible. 
And so encourage you guys to be examples to our next generation and to that as well. Let's be a challenge, let that be a challenge for us today. We're gonna read chapter three of Colossians. Um, but here's some context, just so that we can get a clear picture of what we're reading. Paul is writing from prison. It's like 25 to 30 years later after Jesus' ministry. He's never learnt, he's never actually visited the church himself, but a friend of his, Epaphras, if I said that right, has told, told Paul all about the challenges and the things that they're facing. And they're facing these like, um, like false teachings. And so, and they were pressuring them not to put Jesus at the center of their lives. And these pressures, like they came from early forms of Gnosticism, which viewed the body as bad and the spirit as good and we all become enlightened beings. The Jews were pressuring them to strictly follow Torah rules, like um, the, the festivals and dietary laws and circumcision, and that's when you really become like a commitment to your faith. And then lastly, because they were really a Gentile community, not Jewish backgrounds, you know, what's Jesus like? Just add Jesus to, the next, to another lot of gods that I'm worshiping. So all these pressures were pulling them away from making Jesus the center of their lives. And um, any teaching that puts Jesus not at the center of, 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 of faith wasn't good news. And you know, this text wasn't, was written a thou, like thousands and thousands years, years ago and to a specific church context, but I do wonder if we are the same in our relationships, our lifestyles, and our, um, in our households today. Has Jesus become an add-on? Just another thing that we do in our every, already very busy lives. You know, I love that picture that Jodes gave us at the start of this Um, series around Jesus being the center of what we do and then everything else that we do is around that. We're gonna go back, we're gonna pick up from the letter in chapter three but it's good to remember that Paul has done a lot of the theology work in chapters one and two, um, explaining and debunking all these myths around these false teachings. Um, We now move into the practical side of his teaching and what we do and what the church must do now in response of it. So let's read chapter three together, and I'll read from the NIV translation first. And it's just a big one, so just let's get ready for the the word today. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and yet your life is now hidden with Christ God, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off old, off your old self with, with its practices and now have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of his, its creator. Here there are no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, 
As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another of all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. You know, Paul is really driving home to the church of Colossae that, that if they've truly been raised with Christ, then everything about them must change. We must, they must all look, feel, sound, be more like Christ, no matter what the culture of the day looks like. And in this new way of life, this new way of living requires things like forgiveness, peace, worship, thankfulness. And he encourages the church to do this in all in be representatives of him. We're now gonna keep reading in the, in the letter. And um, he goes on to specific instruction to the Christian household, but warning, you're gonna may feel a little bit uncomfortable reading this, but trust me, it would have been uncomfortable for the Colossian church as well. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Again, as 21st century Christians, we're gonna feel a little bit uneasy about these instructions as Paul, especially if you read on and he talks about slaves and masters and all those kind of things. But we need to remember that Paul is talking um, and he's writing, writing this at a specific time for a specific purpose for a specific people. So picture this. These early Christians were navigating life in a Greco-Roman world where males were the patriarch and they held significant authority. And even the power of life and death over their, their wives and their children and their slaves. Yet that is exactly what Paul is um, challenging here. Because in this culture, wives were expected to obey their husbands, you know, no matter what. And husbands had complete legal control. Yet Paul's use of the word, of the Greek word submit, suggests, and the tense he uses it in, suggests a voluntary attitude of cooperation rather than blind obedience. It's about working together in a way that honors God and fosters a home that's filled with Jesus' love. In this moment, Paul empowers women. He elevates them with this choice, promoting a want-to spirit, not a have-to mentality. And it's the same in Roman culture. Husbands held unlimited power and wives were considered property. And often they they led separate lives. They didn't do things together. Yet this is not just any word that Paul is, um, of love that Paul is using. And to the Roman audience, it could have, if, they, if he used the word for sexual love, they can't, they would have made, it would have made sense to them. But he uses the word agape, which significance a Christ-like, unconditional love. Therefore, he's encouraged, Paul's encouraging the husbands to put the wives' needs in, above his own 
which was radical. This is a radical teaching that even though the cultural norms would pretty much let you do and say anything as a husband, you, can, you don't have to do that. As a, as a Christian husband, you are, you are called to a higher way of living, a new way to live, a new way to love. Paul also addresses the relationship between children and parents. And in, in, this, in this culture, children had very few rights of, at, the, at the same time. Christians, um, Christians, though, were asked to treat their children with nurture, love, and care instead. And children are encouraged to obey their parents. You know, the Greek phrase, be obedient here, implies giving respectful attention to their parents, listening attentively. And it really puts the pressure on parents to say the right things, hey? When other parts of the Bible stop here, Paul keeps going and he encourages fathers, he encourages parents not to embitter their children. You know, the Greek word pekanero conveys anger, resentment, and grief to, to cause anger, resentment, and grief. We shouldn't be doing that. Paul recognises the importance of handling children with care, you know, to prevent them to become disheartened, to make sure that they don't become discouraged. So you might be thinking, cool info, Tiani, what do I do with this now? You know, in our youth, we say all the time, we don't meet for transformation, uh, we don't meet for information, we meet for transformation. And it's really important that we start to think about, well, how does this transform our lives? How is this gonna transform our relationships today? We're gonna look at this passage of scripture again from the, um, from the message translation, um, because it's gonna really help us get an idea of how we can apply this to our 21st century lives. We're gonna start from verse nine and we um, do not lie to one another. You've done that with your old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothing. You've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. We're skipping down to verse 12. So chosen by God with this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. No, none of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail of your, in your lives, words, actions, whatever be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husband, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the pastor, no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. So how do we submit? 
How do we love? How do we obey? How do we not come down too hard on our kids? How do we let God's word have run of our house? You know, our physical houses and also our spiritual house as our church community too. I think the only way we're gonna be able to do this, this is dressing in that new wardrobe that God has picked out for us and only in things that are custom made by him, only in things that have got his label on it. But if we're only, we're only gonna do this by first un, taking off all the fil, filthy, ill-fitting clothes that it says in verse nine, it would be ridiculous if you went shopping for a new outfit or a suit or anything, but refused to take off the old clothing to, be, <laughs> to, to when we are fitting. Can you just imagine it? It's just silly. It's the same with our discipleship journeys, my friends. Some of us today wanna to hold on to that, you know, that really nice, comfortable pair of pants that have definitely passed their use by dates that have questionable holes in them, that have, are falling apart at the seams, and the only way you're gonna get rid of it is they, if they secretly just go missing, you know, by your <laughs> spouse or something. Um, these are the types of clothes that God wants to take off us. It's time for them to go. God has a new pair picked out for you and trust me, it's even better than the old pair. So what are the ill-fitting things that God might wanna take off us today? What have we grown out of? What are the things that are just not serving us anymore? These formation things could be the things that Paul has listed in the letter already around sexual immorality, greed, lust. It could be concerns of the heart that he mentions like lying, anger, rage, slander. So what might God be inviting you to take off today and to be thrown in the fire to be cleansed? It is once these ill-fitting clothing that, it's, that are off that a new wardrobe of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and above all these love, we can put on these things. And these are the most fashionable things to wear. And let's take a closer look really quickly at these words individually in the Greek as they might help us really apply them today. And I'm not gonna to attempt trying to say some of the words, so just gonna make a fool of myself, but we're gonna go with it. So compassion, and in this phrase, it comes from compassion of the heart. Compassion means to have pity for, and the heart is that word splachna that our friend um, has shared with us before, I can't Shane Wheeler, that's right. And he talks about the internal organs that are top of our um, stum stomach. So it really lends itself to understanding that I feel that in the pit of my stomach, that deep eternal caring, you know, such as brokenhearted or gut-wrenching. So how can we cultivate a compassion of the heart, one that goes beyond mere sympathy and resonates in the depths of our being, like the pit of our stomach? so that we can truly understand the meaning of being brokenhearted and gut-wrenched for the sake of others. Kindness, the Greek word lends itself to be helpful spirit that must be expressed in attitude and deed. So how can we actively cultivate a helpful spirit within ourselves? Ensuring our kindness is not just a passive attitude, but a force for positive change in our actions and our deeds. And humility, it's in two parts in Greek, the first part means low lying and the second is thinking. So how can we be lowly thinking of ourselves? How can we cultivate and practice the quality of humility in our lives, adopting a mindset of lowly thinking? 
gentleness, or another translation, meekness. The Greek word also used to describe a soothing wind, a healing medicine, or a cult that has been broken. So basically, potential for huge power, but under restraint. Power under control. So where might be there be an power imbalance in your relationships today? Where might God be inviting me to show gentleness or power in restraint to those people around me this week? And in the last couple, patience, the two words again in the Greek, long, the first one's macro or long, distant, far off, and thuma is temper, passion. So you know that idea of having a short fuse? Like, it's actually the opposite. How do we be long? How do we put our distance and our um, passion and our anger far off? So what areas of my life do I need to practice having a long fuse rather than having a short fuse? What might God be teaching me to de- in developing that patience? And love, it's the agape kind. It's a selfless and unconditional. How can we embody that selfless, unconditional, Christ-like love to the people around me this week? Which one of these values are you picking up today? Which value are you putting on in that wardrobe today? Because we all choose to wear clothes every single day. We need to put these attributes on. We need to put these values on. Because when we go to the people around us, that's the things that people see. That's the things that people experience of us. And that's what Christ is in us and through us. And it's so important that we get dressed in his wardrobe every single day. You know, when I think about raising and discipling the next generation of young people coming up, I really think we're gonna have to wear these virtues. They're gonna need them more than ever. No matter what role you play today, if that's parent, single parent, carer, spiritual parent, spiritual leader, mentor, if that's a friend today, the next generation is screaming out for people, for a village who wears compassion who puts on kindness, who shows humility, even when they don't have to, gentleness and patience on their sleeves. When I was asked to preach about this dear parent topic and an open letter, I really wanted to know what our teenagers wanted to say. You know, so when I asked them what they wished their um, parents, carers, adults in their world knew, they all came back with a resounding theme. You know, I really wanna tell my parents that I'm struggling, but just unsure if they're gonna listen or if they're gonna understand. You know, I feel like they're gonna judge me if I tell them what's really going on. They didn't grow up in the world that we grew up in today. A teenager now is a lot different to when, we were, when they were a teenager. I think parents and older people only see teens struggling and failing, but I wish people knew how hard we try to do our best. How moving is that? It's so easy as humans to fall in this trap of being really good advice givers and not very good listeners. And you know, being married to a very helpful, very passionate guy who is Tim has really helped me articulate this. Sometimes I just say to Tim, I just want a pity party. I just don't need you to problem solve. I just want a listening ear. And did you hear it in the foster care video too? She said how she just wants us to be people that listen, that are slow to give advice. You know, on Friday night, we spoke about Are You Okay Day at Youth. It's mental health is a huge topic for our young people. And this year's campaign is all about being people who are here to hear. And it's really important that we are people that are available to listen. 
that we don't, we, we acknowledge that we don't have all the answers and we don't have to. We don't have to have, fix everything or make it all better, but we can be people who are available to listen and be people who hear. We consider these, when we, as we consider the values and the needs of the generations that are coming up um, underneath us, there's a powerful tool I'd like to introduce you to you that might help you in your relationships. It's called the art of validation. And validation might be a game changer for your relationships, but you know what? Validation's not like gonna be, it's not gonna be, you're not gonna be able to do it unless you're wearing God's wardrobe, unless you're putting on the things of compassion and kindness, humility, patience and gentleness, and above all those, love. You know, validation is the process of learning about, understanding or expressing acceptance for another person's emotional experience. What validation is not, my friends, is not actually having to agree with everything they said or feeling like that what their emotional response is, is um, warranted or not. Instead, it's about demonstrating how we can understand each others, how others are feeling, and trying to not talk them out of how they're feeling either, not making them feel shame for feeling that. We're gonna really unpack this tool in our podcast during the week, but the next time sometimes someone bravely opens up to you, maybe try and use some of the, the phrases that might be behind me in a, min, in a minute. It's gonna take, go a long way if you say these things first and be people who are ready to listen. Because you know, what I do know is this, people thrive, people flourish when they're seen, when they're noticed, when they're valued and they're accepted. And let's be people who prioritize these, these values, prioritize getting dressed in God's wardrobe because people around us need this to be the first things that they experience. I'm gonna invite the band up as we're gonna um, end our time together now, but I've got a few just last closing thoughts for you guys. You know, I hear a lot of people despair when they think about the future generations. Our young people, what's gonna come of them? You know, come of kids these days, thinking of this media, thinking of social media. You know, they're corrupting and even really good intentioned people just like, just worrying about what um, teenagers are going through because they're things that they, we've never experienced. When I think about these fears and I try to understand them, I take solace in these words. People lose a sense of shame. Rudeness is taken as a side of sophistication. People pursue the pleasure of the moment. They lose respect for leaders. The young no longer respect the old. The old, well, they behave if they were young. The difference between the sexes is blurred. People get irritated by the least touch of authority and they dislike any rules that inhibit their freedom to do as they like. So, who do we think wrote that? Someone from our parents' generation? Maybe a, a pastor, maybe a politician? You know, just wanna surprise you today. It's been, it was actually written by Plato in the fifth century BC. He wrote it about the democracy in Athens. And maybe, just maybe, society has always been like this. You know, human nature is consistent and always will be, but you know who is more consistent? God. You know, he goes before us. He makes a way for us in this new, newfound world. 
and he hems us in behind. He, he heals the things that are gone behind us. And we don't have to fear the future because his goodness, his mercy and his love follow us all the days of our lives. Can you stand together today? And I'm just gonna leave you with one last thing. You know, each of us, no matter what role you're playing in the room today, is passing down hand-me-downs to the next generation. Legacy of values and of lessons. And whether we realise it or not, parents in the room today, carers in the room today, you're discipling your young people, even if you don't realise it, in every moment of every day. What I envision for our community is to be intentional in our in the way that we, in what we leave behind, in the hand-me-downs we do wanna pass down to this generation. Let's be known for passing on garments woven with threads of compassion, kindness, of love, rather than garments burdened with shame. May our legacy bear the divine label of heaven's approval, reflecting the love and grace that God has so freely given to us. Let, let us pray. Father, I, I thank you for my friends in the room today. I thank you for that you see them, that you know them, that you know their circumstances. You know where they've come from. And I just thank you that you do, that you do go before us, that you do hem us in behind, that you, we don't have to fear the future because your goodness and mercy follows us everywhere we go. And I just pray for those moments and those things today that we might be holding us back those ill-fitting clothing that, that it's old and got hold in it and just it's just not serving us anymore. I just pray that we would have the courage to take them off and put your garments of peace and love and kindness and yeah, gentleness on ourselves, God. Would we have the courage and the braveness to do that for ourselves so that we can be an example and we can be people that are healthy and pass things down to the next generation and the next generation who needs us, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you love us beyond all compare. And I just pray that tonight, today, that you would just continue to do your work that only you can do in us, God. Thank you that for this wardrobe that you've picked out for us and I just pray that we would put it on today and every day in the days to come. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. In your precious name, Discovery Church said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery Church podcast. It is our mission that every heart is found in Jesus' story. If you were moved by this episode, please take 30 seconds to share it on your social media. It only takes a couple of seconds to create life-changing impacts.